The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. Ah, what a beautiful bunch of people. Good to see you here today. Glad that you could make it. I know the fear of rain did not drive you away, so you are to be commended for your faithfulness. Um, The opportunity to share this morning was an interesting thing for me. Uh, I had told uh, the group this morning that I've had some experiences in the past where I was brought into a situation to share, and I was just a little bit lost as to what the Lord was saying that I should be sharing. And I was recalling when I was invited by a friend of mine, Ken Helser, to speak to a group of about 100 teenagers at a little place called Lurecrest up in the mountains of North Carolina. And Ken was kind of jacked up because he had jacked his kids up to tell them how great his buddy Johnny was and that I was certainly going to bring a great message to him. So he's excited. So I get up there, and I had one of those moments, like a friend of mine who is also an evangelist would have from time to time, where he got up, and he knew he had nothing to say. And so what he would do is he'd stand around and just scratch his belly a little bit until he felt like he had something to say. So that's how I felt this morning. Uh, at the first service. And, uh, but instead of scratching my belly, I, by faith, received what one of our elders said to me. When I was sitting down there, my buddy Emery Midget leaned over and said to me, the Lord told me to tell you that he was going to drop a special anointing on you this morning. And I thought, I will receive that all day long. Especially since that sounds better than to be up there just scratching my belly. So thank you very much. So I received that. I'm going to claim that again for this since that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. I'm just going to claim it for myself. Um, The privilege that I have this morning is just sharing some stuff. One uh, is so deep in my heart it's hard to get it all out. But you are beautiful people, and there's some stuff God's doing in our midst here that is really straight kingdom stuff, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, I was trying to put a handle on how God was going to tie some scriptures together that I had running through my mind and my heart. That's not unusual for me. If any of you read some of the posts that I'll throw up on Facebook, just called Ramblings, Uh, That's what I'm going to do for the next 30, 40 minutes here. But I'm trusting that the Lord's taking those ramblings uh, and and, and they're being led by the Spirit of God. So hang in there with me. As I was sitting there, sort of again, trying to put together some of these scriptures, my friend Melanie, where did Melanie go? Melanie Beecham came up and uh, she felt like she had a word from the Lord here. And so I asked her if I could share it because it fit right into what I was trying to discover. So I believe the Lord gave it to me, and I'm thanking him for it. So uh, 
I ask if I could just share it as I get into my message with you this morning. So it comes from Psalm 27, verses 3, 4, 13, and 14. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. One of the things that you guys have been going through, Scott's been sharing, been talking a lot about revival and home. And Scott feels, from what he said, that home and revival really should be definitions of each other. And when you just say that to somebody, well, home looks like revival, revival looks like home, people say, do what? (laughs) Stay with me on this. Because I do believe that that is the truth that God is trying to write in the hearts of his people in this season. Home, revival, revival, home. Some years ago, I think it was 1978. Let me and my friend Regina's here with me today. She is from Florida. She is the lady that's organizing our Israel trip, and she's going to be meeting with those going on the trip uh, this afternoon. And she's brought a lovely lady with her that uh, I've been married to for 53 years. And so I'm glad to have BJ here with me this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, But about 25 years ago or so, somewhere in that ballpark, I showed up down here to Liberty uh, from the invitation of the elders and the pastor to speak on a Friday night and then on a Sunday morning. When I showed up, the parking lot was flooded, which is not unusual, and uh, it was really kind of high, so the only way to get into church was to pull my shoes, didn't have to pull socks off, but pull my shoes off and roll up my pants legs so I could get into the church. That's what I said. And uh, so I've been to a lot of places, but this was different, yeah. So when I get to this back door to come in, it was like when I went through the door, I was met with love. It was like it just hit me like that, and in an instant, I knew I was home. A place where I belonged. A place where I felt safe. A place, really, that simply said, you're welcome here. And it wasn't because people were out there greeting me. I was still trying to roll down my pants legs. But it was the presence of the Lord. And as I lived for years with this place, I've come to understand it was the Father's heart that met me there. 1978, Betty Joe and I uh, left the parsonage that we were living in and the Methodist church that I was pastoring up in Roxborough, North Carolina. And I did it because the Lord said, do it. Uh, 
but what he was asking me to do was to go into evangelism, where I would, according to the traditional track, I would go to different churches and preach revivals, quote-unquote revivals. And some folk would call them renewal services. Some folks are nervous with the name revival. One of the reasons some of the people are nervous with the name revival is because reviving has to do with taking something that's dead and calling it to life again. So when you're meeting with some churches and they're saying, look, we really would like to call this a renewal service or maybe we could call it a a, a preaching mission. And I'm saying, no, no, you need to call it a revival. And they say, why? And I say, because you're dead. (laughs) You're dead, and you need to be birthed again here. You need to come to life. So, but when I got into this thing, the blessing that we had in that denomination was that you leave the parsonage, you leave your pension, you leave your salary, and you just sort of get put out. You know what I mean? So it was an unusual moment for Betty Joe and me. Scott was five years old at the time, and uh, we really had no clue what we were doing. I had preached one revival in my life. Wasn't in my mind a very good preacher. Didn't know what revival was all about, but I knew God said, go do this. Now, as this thing about revival began to unfold for me, I had several revelations. One is that Pentecost has to take place inside the four walls of the church before evangelism takes place in the marketplace. Which means, if you will, before you and I could be witnesses to him, we had to first be birthed again and empowered by his Holy Spirit so that we could then go out into the marketplace and be that instrument that brought people home to the house. Well, as we got into this thing, uh, I'm trying to piece together in my mind while trying to survive with three little kids, uh, what does this really mean, what I'm doing out here? Because it's called being a revivalist in the minds of some people. But for me, I'm just out there trying to love people, preach the word, and survive. But what I discovered was that as I went about this business of preaching revivals, people had different concepts of what a revival really is. Now, coming from some experiences In the early charismatic renewal back in 1974 for me and my family, pastoring a little Methodist church in Jacksonville, that all of a sudden we found ourselves where we were in, quote, unquote, a revival. Because I had been dead and I was being brought to life. Not by my wisdom, which is really kind of slack, but by the power of his presence in my life. And so we had what would be called a revival happen in that church for two and a half years. So that we would have, after our services, the ones that weren't on the floor in the house were on the grass outside the house. 
And we would have people who would drive past our church on a Sunday morning going to another church, and their cars would break down in front of our church. And then they would come into our church, and then after the Sunday morning worship, they would go back out, crank their cars, and drive off down the road. So God was releasing, if you will, what would be called a revival. Some folk think that having a revival is having the biggest tent in the county. And see how many folks can get there and folks can get saved. Now, honey, that is reviving. Some folk think having revival is watching a church grow to 10,000 members and blanking a whole city. I love it. Some folks see revival as this kind of happening where legs get lengthened and blinded eyes get opened and people get transformed. I like it because it's about the spirit and power of God. But let me tell you fundamentally what revival is about. Fundamentally, it is about what happens in the house so that the family in the house is transformed by the power and presence of God and their families get healthy and their children get set free and they begin to walk with an awareness of the kingdom of God and they begin to live from the inside out in their family what it means to be a daughter and a son of the Most High God. And when that happens, you can't hold it back in the house because it's too powerful to stay in the house. It will go outside the house. And wherever that house goes, folks are going to be touched by the power of the love of His presence, and it transforms their lives. That's not just a happening at a little Methodist church in Jacksonville or in Florida or someplace in Toronto or someplace other. It is a happening that comes from the house. Those other things occur. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. Legs lengthening, eyes open, people go. Great. But let me tell you what sustains revival is what happens in the house. We understand that we are our father's children, and we take our identity, and we understand that we belong, that we're no longer orphans, that we're living in the house with our father, and we discover really what it means to be his children. And as such, the wife treats her husband differently, and the husband treats his wife differently, and they treat their children differently. And they don't just punish their kids, they train their kids up. They are working from inside with the Father's heart for their family to become what He created it to be. Now, when that happens, and we live that way in the marketplace, then everywhere we go, you'll see revival. I still live with the revival that was prophesied back in 1975 by a man named Derek Prince when he talks about the eastern part of the United States, particularly the eastern part of North Carolina, had found favor with God and that there would be a revival on the coastlands where there would be cottages for shepherds and folds for sheep. And that there would be the kingdom of God manifested in a way that that kind of revival would sweep all the way across the land. Let me tell you something. 
that doesn't happen because we put up a tent. That happens because people get transformed in the house and then they go out there and wherever they go, the kingdom of God gets manifested. You all right? It's not about a meeting. It's about a lifestyle. It's about living with an awareness of who you are as your father's son and your father's daughter, and you're so jacked up about being your daddy's daughter and your daddy's son that you can't help but tell everybody you see. When I stood in front of those hundred or so teenagers that night, and my friend Ken Helser was getting nervous, I'm up there scratching my belly, standing there waiting for something to say. And, and the kids are finding it incredibly awkward because you got this old squatty, bald-headed guy that Ken said was wonderful just standing up there scratching his belly. And as they got nervous, the only thing that came to me was this. The deepest thing I know is that my father loves me and my father's God. Doesn't necessarily sound like the greatest things those kids wanted to hear, but I'm telling you, the declaration of truth that has been experienced and has transformed your life when it's declared in the marketplace with his anointing, lives will change. Lives will change. So what we're after as the family of God is to embrace his presence, his love, to be met by it, to find a place of belonging, to understand who we are as our Father's children, and go in the marketplace determined that no demon in hell is going to rob us of who we are. And that with boldness and His power, we're going to declare the reality of the kingdom of God wherever we go. I get just a little bit jacked up about this. I, I know you can probably sense that. But when you're 76 years old and you've been preaching these revivals for 40 years and you keep going back to some of these churches 10, 15 years and they're at the same place they were the last time you were there, you got to tell yourself, Johnny, it ain't about you and it ain't about how bright you are. It's not about your good communication. It is about people getting what it means to be loved by the Father, brought in his family, and transformed so that their family life is transformed. And they live it out in the workplace, in the marketplace, wherever they are. Just by the way they live, they declare, we are children of the Most High God. The passage out of Psalm 27. I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm going to be in the house on the way to the house. I ain't waiting until I get there to be my father's son and get jacked up about it. I'm going to be my father's son now, and my household is going to serve him. And when I go out in the street, I'm going to live like my daddy's boy. That is what revival is really all about. Now, y'all are so nice. But now understand, that's not saying that we shouldn't have big events, that we don't have meetings where God's glorified and where the power of God falls, where folks get healed, folks get raised from the dead, where blinded us. doesn't say that we shouldn't have those meetings and those revival moments where folks are called from death to life. But it means if we're going to sustain what revival is all about, then in the house 
We have to learn how to live as our father's children. And be bold enough through the power of the Holy Spirit to declare when we go out just who he is and who we are because of who he is so that we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That we can see it, touch it, and know the reality of the goodness of God in the land of the living. In Luke 15, a passage of Scripture that I'm sure many of you memorized through Sunday school, that most of us can at least paraphrase pretty well, where you have the father, two sons, one that's out there working, and the other one simply says, Daddy, I need to go out into the world, live my life, find out who I am, give me my stuff. And the father is willing to do that. Although the father didn't have to, really, the inheritance wasn't to be distributed until the father passed away. But this guy says, give it to me now, and the father says, okay. You know, sometimes what we ask for from God, if he really gave it to us, we'd mess up. You understand? And some of what we think he should already have given us, we're really not ready to handle. But sometimes he will give you what you ask for, even if it's not for your good. But then he will take it and work it for your good, no matter how bad you mess it up. But his heart, his heart is for us to walk with him in such union that we just want to be our fathers, sons, and daughters with integrity and credibility all the days of our lives so that we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This boy took his stuff. Scripture there says he wasted what the father had given him on what was called riotous living. If you like some of the wording, it said he was debauching. As I look around the house, I know we don't have any debauchers here. If you can understand what debauching is. I just know it's not good. You know what I mean? Scripture there says he wasted it on prostitutes and riotous living. And the brother who's still home is not happy about the brother that's out there wasting his inheritance. But when the boy in the pig pen discovers that the daddy's got slaves and servants that have got it better than he does, then he comes to himself, takes off his coat, his vest, his shirt, and comes to himself. There's just something about getting down to the basics in your life that make you come to yourself. He wanted to eat what the pigs had. They wouldn't share. So then he decides, I'm not worthy to be my father's son. Even the slaves got it better than me. I'm going to go back to my daddy's house. So he starts back to his father's house. His father sees him coming. And there are some important things that happen here. The father comes off the porch or wherever he was standing and runs to meet his son, the one that was lost but was now being found. The one that was dead was now being revived and made alive 
because the father didn't wait for him to get to the porch. The father ran out to meet him and simply declared that he was now found and that he was now alive. And then the father walks the boy back to the house. Hear me now. Revival is about coming alive. This boy had been dead in many ways. Now he's alive. The father walks him where? Back to the house. It was like the father said, I love you, son. Welcome home. Put his arms around him and took him to the house so he could be home and he could know who he was. And what he discovered when he got home was what he should have known before he left the house. He was simply his father's son. Do you know how many orphans we have out in the world who have orphan spirits, who believe they have no home, no fathers, no mothers, no purpose? Orphans. An orphan spirit has ravaged this country, has destroyed families, has led people into all kinds of addiction and immorality because they don't know who they are. And somebody needs to tell them. If you will let me share with you, his name is Jesus. Let me put my arm around you and walk you back to the house so you can know who your daddy is and know who you are so that you can have purpose and destiny. But unless we embrace in the house what God wants to do to transform us and receive that move of the Holy Spirit that equips and empowers us, then we don't find ourselves out in the marketplace looking at somebody saying, hey, I love you. Welcome home. Let me walk you back to the house so you can meet with your daddy. Revival home. Home revival. A place where you are one who belongs. A place where you have an identity. A place where you're safe. A place where you're loved. There's a world out here that doesn't know that. Just to have a big meeting somewhere and not be transformed... And let your own kids not know who they are. That's not revival. But to minister in your own house and then watch that transformation and take that out into the marketplace, revival takes place. The church was never intended to sit in the house with its fingers in their ears. The church was meant to be in the street. But if we don't know who we are, how are we going to help those others out there that are lost? So hear me now. The church has got to quit being namby-pamby messy about the Holy Spirit and understand that without his power and presence, we're blowing in the wind when we get out there. It's true. But what we need then is a willingness to embrace that move of God in the house 
So the Pentecost takes place in here. Our families are transformed. We learn how to love one another. We understand we have an identity. We know we belong. We've been met by love. And we cannot wait to get out there and share that with somebody. When we get that enthused about this and we really walk it out, you will see what is quote-unquote a revival sweep across this land like the world has never known. And you and I, we get to be a part of that. All you got to do is walk through a door, be met by love, know your home, figure out who you are as your daddy's boy. Now, what I've said to you over these 30 minutes or so is what I've been saying for 40 years on the road. Revival's got to start in the house. Pentecost has to happen in the house. We have to be out in the marketplace, not with persuasive words and great theological arguments, but with power that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence and flow through our lives. You all right? Listen, I am excited about this thing, and what excites me more is that you're still sitting here. I mean, you could have been said, I am listening to the rantings of an old poetic guy. My God, what am I doing here? Hey, excites me that we can be in this place together so that we can discover we're no longer orphans. We are our daddy's children. And we can't wait to get out there and tell somebody. Not in our own strength, but through the power and love that the Holy Spirit releases in and through us. Okay? Now, I just want to, let me just show you, let me just show you how easy revival is. Thank you. Come here. I'm going to show them. Stand right there. Come here. Turn around this way. I'm going to show you just how easy revival is. Okay? I love you. You are my son. I'm so proud of you. Can I walk you to the house? Can we go together? Uh, I'm telling you, folks, it's that simple. When Pentecost happens in the house, it's that simple when you hit the marketplace. Let's bow our knees, make Jesus Lord of life, let the Holy Spirit have his way with us, and then get in the marketplace and be loving people the way we have been loved by our daddy. Okay? Y'all so good to me. Uh, we're going to have communion, isn't that right? Okay. Um, if I could have those who are going to be serving uh, to come up here, this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have the communion elements distributed to you uh, where you sit at this service. But what I'd also like to do is to encourage you that um, if you're here, and you really honestly aren't sure whether you're the older brother hanging out outside and ticked off because your younger brother's getting good stuff, or whether you're the younger brother and you ain't quite made it to the house yet, I want to encourage you to take time this morning and just make where you are an altar, or come down here, if you would,
and get before the Lord and invite Jesus in his fullness to work in your life. Jesus, I thank you for saving me. But Lord, I know you want to use me. Jesus, the Scripture says you're the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Would you flood me inside and out with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, so that I can be an instrument for renewal and revival in the street? Would you do that, Lord? If you've never done that, if you want to do that this morning, we invite you to come forward and do that. Or you can sit right where you are and do it. But please understand that what you're receiving this morning in these elements is a declaration of your faith so that when you by faith receive a cracker or some grape juice, when you by faith receive it, trusting in him, it becomes for you the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that we should do this as often as we would in remembrance of him. What he did with this was to say, hey, the cross declares that I love you and you can never kill my love for you. I'm going to love you no matter what you do. And through the shedding of his blood, he took care of the sin issue so that as you put your faith in him, you are born again. And you become in his hands an instrument for revival and renewal everywhere you go. The bread that he broke, he simply said, it represents my body that was given for you. That you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. One of the most amazing things that I've ever watched in the family of God in terms of having a celebration of communion is that as people declare in a public way that we do receive that sacrifice that was made at the cross, and we do believe by faith that Jesus truly gave himself for me. I have watched people repeatedly receive healing, be delivered, be set out from bondage that's held them for years, so that as we take this by faith this morning, Please expect God to move in your life. Believe God's going to touch you this morning in a way that perhaps he's not touched you before. Believe that because this is his gift to us, his blood and his body, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly.